It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you ready? It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday, as I am every single Sunday right here answering your questions and talking about the things that matter in life and, of course, the afterlife. If you find yourself uh, refusing to speak up when things around you are are wrong, somebody's doing something wrong or somebody's doing something harmful or ugly, or if you refuse to take honest, truly honest, constructive criticism when it comes your way, you end up, whether you like it or not, being a participant in the destruction around you. Ugliness falls upon your lap because... You don't want anything to do with it. You don't want to do anything to make yourself better. You don't want to do anything to make sure others are making themselves better or a system that doesn't seem to be working gets mended. So ultimately the destruction and is going to land on your lap as well. There are some people who like to surround themselves with yes men. And you know what a yes man is right a yes man is the type of person who only tells you what you want to hear it's always positive and i know it sounds strange to knock positivity but this is false positivity this is somebody who's looking for an excuse not to tell you the truth and you don't want to be around that do you surround yourself with yes men with yes people Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And the visual that comes with that is that you might get wounded by a friend, by a friend's words, correction, honest, constructive criticism but deceitful, but more harmful are the kisses of an enemy, are the kind words, the yes-man attitude from an enemy. How many times have you uh, severed a relationship or not talked to somebody because they actually were trying to be constructive? And I know that's a difficult balance to find sometimes when you're dealing with people you care about. But how many times have you severed or cut or walked away from a relationship, people in your life, when they meant to really do well or to help you correct something in your life? It's what friends are for, right? So when you shelter yourself, 
and you remove yourself from the honest insights of others, you automatically create an atmosphere that harvests relationships with yes-men only. That's it. So if you cut good people out of your life that are willing to tell you when you're doing something wrong or when you're doing something that's harmful to you, all you do is you open up yourself to uh, the possibility of only having relationships with people that are just going to tell you what you want to hear. And that never, ever ends well. People who who get into that cycle, people who do this relationship building with only yes people, never grow. And and if this is where you're at right now, you will eventually get yes to death. It'll take you down, you know, spiritual death, uh, relationship death, maybe even physical death if you just refuse to hear the honesty from people. So if you never have a a true grasp on reality because no one seems to care enough or everyone is too intimidated to tell you the truth, then you're going to be in a bad situation. You should invite that into your life. And it's not that everybody should be that way. You don't have to have everybody in your, your life trying to fix you. That's not the point. Nor do you want to go around trying to be that nosy body that's trying to fix everybody else. The balance is a place of health and kindness and love and generosity and comfort. Not finger pointing and ugliness. In the 1800s, Hans Christian Andersen wrote a short tale and it had great insight about two dishonest weavers who claimed to be creating a new suit of invisible thread that was to be worn by the emperor himself. It was a big deal. This is for the emperor, right? Well, the two weavers informed the emperor that the suit is designed so that it would only look invisible to those who are not fit for their positions in life, lacking competence or just plain stupid. The two weavers even went so far as to pretend to personally dress the emperor. They mimed all the actions, uh, making it look like they were real tailors actually fitting him for these so-called invisible clothes. Now, you know the story. You've heard it many, many times. Uh, Everyone, even the emperor himself, pretended to see the suit, even though they, they, they could not. So they didn't want to appear to everyone else as incompetent or foolish. And so they didn't say anything. But ultimately, it took the the, the raw honesty of a child. And I know you've come across the raw honesty of a child. You laugh and everyone laughs in the room and chuckles. But it really is a thing of beauty. The raw honesty of this child to yell out, the emperor has no clothes. And that child was not, wasn't worried about anything but the truth, about what was obvious and what was seen by everyone, but nobody wanted to do it. Everyone was being yes people. Now, this lovely and cautionary tale of the invisible clothes and the the concept of people not wanting to tell the truth, it predates Anderson's writings. 
the Spanish, Arab, uh, Jewish versions of all kinds, different sorts. And it's not about plagiarism. It exists because the concept of going with the flow or lying to get ahead has been around since the beginning of time. In all cultures, in all ways. Jack Zipes, uh, an American retired professor of German at the University of Minnesota, wrote about Hans Christian Andersen and the Emperor's New Clothes, saying it was a tale of the courage of one's conviction and that sight becomes insight, which in turn prompts action. Sight becomes insight, which in turn prompts action. Essentially, if you see something wrong, speak up and change it. In other words, don't be a yes man. Don't be a yes person. If you get caught in that spiral, it ends poorly every time. The truth truth is that, that people gain strength. You will gain strength by listening to the honest and loving criticisms of other and others around you, and when you refuse to listen to those who really love you enough to be honest with you, you're going to fail. You're setting yourself up to fail. That's why gaining success is easier than keeping success. And and hear that truth. Gaining success is easier than keeping success. Because when you're climbing, and think about this right now and where you are in your life, When you're climbing, you take all the tips you can get from anybody. You're not proud. You just want to grow. But when you're standing on the top of the mountain, no one can tell you anything unless they agree with you. You don't want to hear it. They're wrong. You're the one with success. But you won't keep it unless you follow your path to success, which was being open and ready and willing to listen to the criticisms of those around you. Scripture says, Proverbs twelve twenty two: the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Amen? It's so important that you are truthful with people in life, especially, especially the ones you love. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am... Your holy host, happy to be with you this Sunday as I am every single Sunday, right here answering your questions and talking about things that truly matter in life and, of course, the afterlife. I encourage you, as always, to go to the phone with your theology question or life situation anywhere in the U.S. of A. Dial 877-HOLY-HOST. Numerically, that's 877-465-9467. Also, check out our website, thejesuschristshow.com. Follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show. If you're the type of person that just refuses to hear what other people have to say, honest and loving criticism, or you yourself hide from confronting anybody and pointing out things that might make their life easier or better or make your neighborhood better and uh, rid rid of crime and ugliness or anything like that, if you just hide from confronting, then you'll be someone who is a magnet for yes people. And once you get yes people in your life, 
your life starts to spiral out. You have no balance. You have no understanding, no balance of what right and wrong is. Your friends are just uh, giving you kind words to make you feel good rather than things that will really make you grow. Not about ugly people in your life either. It's not about people being mean to you. It's about having a balance. I've never understood how a true friend would rather rather pretend they don't see the spinach in the other friend's teeth. And it just puts them out in the open, walking around with this thing, leading them to the embarrassing situation of hearing from a stranger, hey, you got something in your teeth. And I understand this example may be incredibly benign, but if you aren't honest about the little things in life, you won't be honest about the big things either. Luke 16.10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So this all works in both ways, right? You want people to be honest to you, you should be honest with others. And you should. You should be honest with those around you. And you should want to surround yourself with honest people as well. Exodus 18.21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trust trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. That's who you should surround yourself with. And it's sad when you see somebody, often someone famous, maybe someone in your family, spiraling out of control and auguring because everyone around them, every hand-picked person around them, is telling them how wonderful they are and how everything's great just because they don't want to rock the boat or they're getting some personal gain out of it. This happens a lot in relationships. The Bible is clear when it warns you not to help the wicked by lying for them. Exodus 23.1 Telling someone the lies they want to hear while they're hurting themselves is like uh, taking a bribe to help the wicked. It's really, you're, you're doing, you're perverting justice as it talks about in Deuteronomy 16, 19, and 20, for your own gain. Yes, the truth can hurt, but the sting of the truth lasts only a moment. However, the lies of a so-called friend can destroy your life forever. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I am with you every single Sunday right here answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life and, of course, the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your theology question or life situation. Anywhere in the U.S. of A, dial 877-HOLY-HOST numerically. That is 877-465-9467. You can also, if you want to hear more of the show during the week, uh, the way to do that is by being a part of our archive, archive club, and you can do that yeah, by finding out more at thejesuschristshow.com, thejesuschristshow.com, and um, click on that little link there, and it'll tell you more about the Archive Club. And that's where we're focusing a lot of our efforts these days, so you can check that out there. And you can follow us on Twitter during the week and during the show at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. Jeff, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show. Hi, Jesus. Hi, Jeff. How can I help you? Okay, well, when I, um, my question is dealing with road rage, and uh, I do experience it myself. Uh, I've always had it 
since my, uh, especially when my daughter was born, and I was afraid that people that were driving rec recklessly and uh, inconsiderately uh, were endangering even my daughter, and uh, it just make me irate. And but now she's grown up and gone, and uh, so I still deal with this. And you know, I know that uh, I just can't get uh, my mind wrapped around. The fact that it's like somebody uh, maybe punching me in the face or, you know, not caring about my safety, and they're just going to go do their thing. So uh, it's not like I can just tell myself, oh, uh, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, it's like somebody if somebody walks you up and, and punches you in the face over and over, you're not going to keep saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, First of all, Jeff, let's look at, at a few things. Um, are you a perfect driver yourself? Well, no, and, and I always consider that when I'm uh, thinking about the situation and trying to, uh, 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 you know, come up with a solution. I, I say, that's me. I do the same thing. So that's me, but I still get mad. But you realize these issues are deep and have nothing to do with your daughter, have nothing to do with the driver, and have everything to do with you, right? Well, yeah, I realize that at some, at some level I'm mad at myself. Uh, therefore, it's easy to get mad at these people, even though I realize I may be doing the same thing that they're doing, uh, maybe, at, at one level. Yeah, but there's something – this is much deeper. This goes way, way back uh, uh, to you being a kid. I mean, there's – Are you saying that every uh, road rager is, is, has a scenario? Is that your take? Yeah. Well, there it's not for the same reason specifically, but it's for similar reasons. There's, there's two things that, that are going on with somebody has road rage. You're battling with a couple of things. One, you have horrible time management, meaning that you, you leave only minutes or seconds to your life. That's not it. Okay, I, okay. That's, that, that's one scenario. The second okay. scenario is, is a self-centered scenario. Is you, you'll make excuses as to why, but really it's about um, you feeling like somebody is personally – doing this to you. You even use the analogy of someone slapping your face. This person doesn't know you. Now, to be discourteous and to not go with the flow of traffic or understand that there's other people, that's why the wave is so popular. You know, when you see somebody wave in the car, the reason why that tones down anger is because the person in the car that starts to get angry is getting angry because they feel that they're invisible. They're not being seen. They're not, they're not being cared about, um, that uh, this person is being discourteous. And the minute the wave comes up, it allows it allows you to know, hey, I didn't mean that against you. I made a mistake. I apologize, uh, and everybody's fine. So it really comes from feelings of being discarded, or not being important enough, or not being visible. And those are the only two places that road rage stem from. You can say anything you want to about it, but that's where it comes from. And the Bible actually backs this up in one form. Or another, the, the reality is, obviously, road rage didn't exist in biblical times, but the concept of rage certainly did. And in James chapter 4, verses 1 through, well, we'll go 1 through 3 to give you a, a, a good sketch. It says, what is the source of your quarrels or your conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasure that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, 
so you uh, may spend it on your pleasures. And although this is dealing with um, the lack of humility, it ties very well into road rage because really it's about that at the center of every quarrel or conflict is something that you're battling with on your own, not with someone else. This is something that you're battling with yourself. You want something, you want to be noticed, you want to be thought of a certain way, whatever it is. And when people don't do that, you want to force them to do it. And if they don't see you, you want to force them to see you. If they don't respect you, you want to force them to respect you. And that's not the way to do it. And you have to find out if your time management is on on point and you say that it is, then you have to find out why you feel like you're not being seen and why that bothers you so much. Internal answer then to uh, come to grips with uh, internally for individuals to come to grips with that what you were just talking about absolutely and absolutely then, and then it and then stemming from that is is uh, the road rage disappears yeah you start it's 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 a process uh, and you are not alone Jack at all or Jeff I'm sorry you're not alone at all you're you're really wrapped up in in something that a lot of people experience uh, especially. Um, depending on the region in which you live. Uh, if you're in Southern California, there's a lot of garbage. A lot of people drive horribly there. But w- it, that's one thing. When you start to personalize it, it becomes something else. When you start to take it personally, um, then it becomes something else because they don't know you. And you don't know them. You don't know what they're experiencing. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's, what their day is. Um, if someone in their life is that they love is very sick, you don't know if their child uh, is in need and they are scrambling to get to work and to get home to, to take care of their child. You don't know what's going on in their head. So first of all, I think it's good for you to, um, whenever you get to that point of anger, start to start to build a backstory. I know it's going to be fake. Build a backstory about why that person might be doing it, why you might be doing it if you were in their shoes. But disconnect yourself from it being personal, and then the work that you do for yourself, uh, Jeff, is to focus on why why you get this way. And I, I'd say, uh, you know, uh, not to put you on the couch or anything, but I would look at um, your relationship with your father and those types of things, uh, because this is this usually stems from uh, parental connection and the feeling of being not heard or not seen. And that's where it maybe it maybe stem from the basic uh, rage of uh, of uh, uh, grow of whatever uh, uh, didn't work out when I was young. Sure, yeah, and you feel like you're still not being heard. Uh, there's a there's a saying, and it's uh, it's simply put that confidence is quiet, insecurity is loud. Oh, I like that. And it really is when you see confidence. There's something quiet and strong about it. And insecurity is always brash, loud, you know, banging, look at me, see this. That's just the way it works. So whenever you tend to get loud, uh, people get loud because they think they're not being heard. You get loud when you drive because you think you're not being seen, that no one cares about you. They're driving in front of you. They're, They're putting your child at risk when your child was small. They're putting you at risk. They're putting your family at risk when they put you at risk. Um, you've worked hard to get where you are to pay for your car, and now they're putting that at risk. All those things start building up, and then you you, you explode. And, and and this has to do with that inner uh, peace that you're talking about with the conflict with rage. Yes, and I'm, I would say that it's a safe bet to say that it uh, came from your youth. 
not being yeah. heard or something that you battled with when you were young, but only I'll you can be. At, I'll take a look at that, Jesus, because, you know, I tell myself over, every time I get, I get into the cycle, uh, the vicious cycle of every time it happens, and I get so upset, it, it just really takes me for a loop. And then I tell myself, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then, sure enough, I get on the road and somebody will cut me off or, you know, uh, do something that's in- inconsiderate or unsafe. And, and I go and it snaps. The fact is, a bad guy. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. That is filled with rage isn't going to take the time to pick up the phone to call me and to question it just wouldn't the fact that you question it the fact that you care so much to talk yourself through all that means that you are a very caring and deep thinking person and and people that are caring and deep thinking um, tend to get worked up when people aren't caring and don't think through things solve the problem can thinking through this problem can it solve it or does it have more to do with prayer and thinking or and even more well all of it it plays a part but i think uh i think for someone like yourself uh talk therapy or um talking through these things can be very helpful there's practical application you have to um you know don't put the weight of the world on you but you know next time you get on the road say today uh, no ro- road rage. Uh, when somebody does something, I'm going to explain to myself. I'm going to do build a backstory and say their kid's sick with cancer, heaven forbid, and uh, and they're rushing to get home to them. Whatever it is to calm you down and to keep you in a, in a centered place so that you don't do anything stupid is the best thing. Uh, I think that if you can find a good uh, uh, counselor that comes from a healthy perspective, it's not a bad idea to be able to talk these things through and maybe you can in the time allowed you can focus in on pinpointing as to where it stems from and why you respond that way Um, but i think it's i think it's great that you've pinpointed anything at all and that you say hey i don't want this in my life because it can be very dangerous and it's one of those things that goes from you know no pun intended but zero to 60 uh in a heartbeat and then you're looking at some stupid decision there was you can, I've heard about it happening a lot, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. People have pulled out guns. People have, uh, you know, done all kinds of stupid things. My producer, Neil, back when he was uh, younger and dumber, uh, would, you know, pull over or, or follow people and get really irate and, and all those things. And it just doesn't pay off. It ends up putting you in a bad situation. It ends up putting someone else. I've seen people pulled out of cars and thrown onto the street and their head... Um, 
just missing within inches a passing car's tire. How's the producer doing with it now? Uh, it's it's pretty much zero. Uh huh. It's just not worth it. And he worked it out like what you're talking about. Exactly. Too? Just you start looking at, at the reasons that you feel so self-centered and so locked on why the world has to worry about you. And the best thing you can do, believe it or not, is to be the best driver you can be, and understand that other people are not always going to be that person. But what it, most people do is they make excuses for why they drive bad, and then they get upset when other people do it. So be the best driver you can. Be courteous. Um, you know, do the wave. Smile. Uh, try and be aware of other people. That's the best thing you can do. And it starts with one individual, and then someone else does it, and it passes along. And that's the best way to do it, Jeff. But you are absolutely on that road, my friend. Again, with the puns. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday, as I am with you every single Sunday right here, answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life, and of course, the afterlife. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a theology question or a life situation question, give me a call, 877-HOLY-HOST. Numerically, that's 877 877- Four six five nine four six seven, and of course you can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. Walt, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Jesus. My pleasure. How can I help you? Um, I I, uh, I don't go to church, uh, but I do watch uh, a particular show regularly, and often the pastor uh, I hear him say. Um, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. From Corinthians, uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, I, I've i never been able to get an answer uh, from a minister or a pastor that was, um, uh, well, acceptable or, or that I understood. Okay. Uh, when it came to the resurrection, how, how, how do they reconcile? I mean, if you're, and I've read these books. How do they reconcile what? Well, um, uh, if you're absent from your body and you're present with the Lord, and and I've read these books where people have died and they've they've seen their uh, uh, relatives and loved ones in heaven, they recognize them. Well, how does the resurrection? God raises you from the dead, okay? And and supposedly you go to heaven or you don't. If you go to heaven, um, you're but you're already there. I mean, if yes. you're absent. From your body, you're already with the Lord. Exactly. Great question, too, Walt. Because yeah, it is it is a little confounding when when you think about it that way. Uh, not getting into the books that you've read about people who said they've been to heaven and all that that comes into a separate thing. But let's focus on the the biblical context here. The there are um, depending on the belief, there are some people that believe uh, that. Uh, the body is uh, two. Some people that believe that it's three, that the soul and the spirit are separate. I won't get into that because that complicates things. Let's look at the more mainstream belief that the body is two. You are flesh, your vessel, and then you are spirit. Okay? Because you at least believe that much, right? Yes. Okay. So the the language is quite specific. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So the belief is, uh, mechanically what's going on, is the spirit 
instantaneously is in the presence of God. The body stays where the body stays. And not until the resurrection are they, uh, are they married. And it doesn't mean that you are not recognizable in your spirit form. You absolutely would be. But your body is still in the grave and buried and all of those things and will only be united at the point of resurrection. But to be absent from the body, you're leaving the body, is to be present with God in heaven. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I am with you every single Sunday right here answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life and the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to that phone with your theology question or life situation question anywhere in the U.S. of A. Dial 877-HOLY-HOST. Numerically, that's 877-465-9467. Also, if you want to hear more of the show during the week, the best way to do that is with our Archive Club. And you can find out more at thejesuschristshow.com, thejesuschristshow.com. And uh, just click on the link there to find out more, watch a video, and I'll explain what it's all about. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, Jesus Show. Tiffany, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show. Hi. Hi there. Um, so I'm a mother of two young children, and um, I've uh, been fortunate to be um, getting closer and closer to, to God through Christ. And, um, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, as we all know, is, you know, thou shalt not lie. And I'm having a, a struggle between um, justifying pretend and fairy tales versus lying. And, you know, we just had Christmas, and it was a joy to share with them about the birth of Jesus and what the true meaning was. But then there's also Santa Claus. And we also had this little elf on the shelf that hung out with us and played little silly games all month. Sure. And then, you know, we've got Easter coming up, and there's the Easter bunny. And then there's, you know, my daughter loves unicorns, and uh, there's a tooth fairy. And those are all things that I was raised with, and I and I found joy in them, you know, although, you know, you know, people say, okay, my parents were lying to me. There's no Santa Claus. <laughs> but at the same time, like, they're so young, and uh, everything is about pretend. And we, we play, you know, like, tea parties, and I pretend that the, the tea that she poured me is too hot, and or, uh, you know, the fire engine's racing through the living room, and we're going to go do a rescue. And so, you know, at what point is it okay to pretend, and, and where does it cross the line of, of lying? <laughs> it is, uh, it falls sort of into the category of um, uh, an agreement, like when you walk into the theater, uh, whether uh-huh. it be plays or whether it be television or whether it be an actual uh, movie, whatever it is, y- you go to see a magician and uh, do illusions. It's all an agreement um, mm-hmm. that somebody is going to lie to you, um, but not to hurt you. Uh-huh. Uh, and in that context, it's uh, a, more of a progressive revelation, meaning you're never going to keep the real truth from them. Because right. eventually they're going to ask, and it's going to be different. And then you uh-huh. get to talk about the spirit of Christmas and St. Uh-huh. Nicholas and 
all these things uh, as a progressive revelation, just like, you know, people get caught up in this. And I think it's really great that you're thinking about it. Um, but the examples you you gave were perfect. I mean, you gave the entire breadth. It's not just about Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny uh, coming up in a, in a few months. It's it's more about focusing in on all of it while you play pretend with the with the tea party and everything else and hot lava jumping from cushion to cushion in the living room and not touching the ground. These things are very healthy and important for a child. What you never want to do is um, break their trust and the ability to trust you about the things that are most important. So they're going to have two different examples. They're going to have the example of uh, hardworking parents that love them, that clothe them, that feed them, um, that are very constant in the things that are real and important. And then a playful side that allows for pretend and storytelling and uh, fantasy and these types of things for the health of creativity. And they're both very healthy and perfect. You just can't overshadow one with the other. A a child needs to know that there's reality and security. Otherwise, uh, they'll be uh, anxiety written uh, written and and constantly worried about where things are going to come from. So if there's stability there, then the playfulness is wonderful. It's healthy. Uh, it, there's nothing wrong with, with any of those things. And, and quite honestly, it would be sad to remove. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. ...them from their life because that's part of being a child. Now, if you force it down their throat when they're old enough to call you on it, there's a problem. Uh, you know, they're, uh, that type of thing. But otherwise, it'll be the same for them as it was for you, a wonderful tradition that brought magic uh, into the home and playfulness and allowed them to be at their age and in their age when it's appropriate, just like everything else. I mean, your child comes to you and says, where do babies come from? You you know, you give them progressively the amount of information they can handle at their age. You say it comes from the love of mommy and daddy. And then maybe that, that's enough for them. They walk away and they go play and then they come back a couple years later and say, but, but how? And then you right. give them a little more information until they can handle the entire image and the entire story. Um, and when you look at Scripture, it's very similar. There's a lot of progressive revelation in Scripture where God gives things slowly to his people for them to understand and uses illustrations uh, uh, I told parables constantly throughout Scripture, and the the purpose of those parables were to uh, teach a greater truth. 
But you could say, well, you were a storyteller. Why didn't you just tell something true? Or, But it was about using a story to teach something. And when you're using the story of uh, an elf on a shelf to teach accountability and that you're always accountable for your actions, when you teach about uh-huh. the concepts of – uh, of uh, St. Nicholas and uh, the the art and importance of giving um, mm-hmm. more than receiving. And all of these things, these lessons are taught through these life parables and these stories, and they're not lies. They're, they're sketches. They're stories that are built upon real things and real concepts to help people with small minds that are developing understand very big and very important concepts. It's not to harm them. A lie... The dangerous lies are the ones that are for self-preservation, not for not to protect others. In Nazi Germany, there were plenty of Christians that lied about having Jews in the floorboards because they understood that life was the most important thing mm-hmm. and that there was equality in life and that to lie to uh, an SS officer was a small price to pay for the greater good, which was the life of the individual they were trying to protect. Uh, So it's the motivation and and the purpose of the lie. And you're not trying to gain anything. You're trying to teach about very um, real concepts to a child, and you're not going to hide it from them when they ask. The same reason this very program uses the art of theatrics to get bigger concepts across to people that sometimes wouldn't listen to them at all uh, right. if it was a straightforward uh, manner. But we use theatrics in this program in hopes to make big concepts more palatable for people, not ever to try and pull the wool over someone's eye or to make them believe that I'm someone I'm not. It's for right. It's for a greater understanding. And that is an agreement between you and the child. They're looking at you saying... Never misguide me in something that's going to harm me um, and let me be a child. And you say, I will never guide you into something that's going to be harmful. I'm going to allow you to be a child. That's an agreement. And it's a lovely thing. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) I appreciate that so much. No, enjoy them in every stage of their life and be playful and imagination is a wonderful, wonderful thing and a gift from yeah. God. And they should be running in the grass of those m- massive fields of imagination every single day and holding on to it for as long as they can. It's a wonderful time in life. But they still trust you and they still know um, that, it, that it's an exchange and they will appreciate it on the flip side. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much. No, thank you for the call. I think that's a wonderful and sweet question. That, that it is... The Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I am with you every single Sunday right here answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life and, of course, the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your theology question or life situation question. Anywhere in the U.S. of A, dial 877-HOLY-HOST. Numerically, that's 877-465-9467. And uh, check out our website, thejesuschristshow.com, if you want to find out more about our archive club and how you can hear more of the show during the week. That's the way to do it. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. 
Alphonse, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show. Yeah, hello, Jesus. Hi. Uh, I have an important question I've been pondering for a while, and it's uh, the question is, does the Bible teach that we can know when the end of the world will be? Well, that's a big one, huh? That's something that comes up quite a bit. Um, you know that everybody that has used Scripture or numerology or any of these things to uh, try and predict when the end times will be here have been wrong up until this point. And now there's another one, 2012, and they continue to, you know, the year 2000 was one, and they'll continue to come up with it. The fact remains that Scripture says uh, that, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. There is nothing in Scripture that points to the fact that anyone will know the end time. It does say that you might know the season, meaning that there are going to be certain things that you will see that you can go, okay, we're closer than ever before. Um, but there's no, there's no way to calculate in Scripture or to find out if anything Scripture says quite the opposite, that there is no one that is going to know specifically the day nor the hour. Um, and part of the reason, one of the reasons is, is that you're not, you don't want people cramming for a test. You want people to seek God all the time, to be prepared every minute of every day. You should be prepared uh, for uh, the return. So it's, that's kind of the mentality you should be in. And this whole kind of trying to find the, the finish date doesn't make any sense because you're, you're to live every moment as if it's your last anyways. You're to live every moment seeking God, fulfilling God's commandments, um, uh, seeking and desiring to know God better and have God know you. So that shouldn't change no matter if you had a uh, demarcation of the end uh, of times. And I think it kind of becomes a, uh, you know, kind of just gets people uncomfortable and it's try- a way to try and get people into the church. And I don't think it's a very honest way of doing that. So uh, to answer your question simply and to the point, sir, no, there's there's nothing specific in Scripture that's going to point to uh, the end times or, or when the end is uh, is coming. Uh, the study of the end times is called eschatology. It actually means the, the study of last things. And I often joke with people, Alphonse, that they should uh, study it last because it's, it's, re- it, it's wonderfully fascinating. And as far as understanding uh, the end times, it's it's purposeful. I mean, the book of Revelation is focused with uh, focused on those things, but there's only so much you can know. And to get lost in those things, to get lost in a place where uh, it's you know all about the end times and you're not present, becomes a problem because now you're you're not here now. Focus on the things of today. Uh, be here in the here and now, and you're better off. To try and think of it as if you are going to know when the end times is going to, you know, when the last day of earth is going to be in existence, I'm not sure what you would do with that information if you had it. How would you benefit from it? What gain uh, to your physical self or to your spiritual self? How does that affect your Christian walk to know when the end is here? It's almost sometimes when uh, people talk about it that you wonder, are you just looking for, it's like, when are our guests coming here so we can clean up the house? Well, if you kept your house clean all the time, then it wouldn't matter when they showed up. If you kept yourself in check, if you're constantly in a state of uh, seeking God, looking to know God, looking to better yourself, 
then to concern yourself with the end times is of no consequence. Right? Therefore, you welcome me when I return and that you are always ready for that return, that you desire to be in a state of, uh, of, of welcoming and that you're continually uh, bettering yourself each and every day. And then it shouldn't matter at all. Shouldn't make a difference. I know people it, that it kind of has a, a strange sex appeal to it and that people are very curious about knowing the future. But really, it's about participating in the present that I'm the most concerned about. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I'm with you every single Sunday right here answering your questions and talking about things that truly matter in life and, of course, the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your theology question or life situation question anywhere in the U.S. of A. Dial 877-HOLY-HOST. Numerically, that's 877-465-9467. You can uh, check out our website, thejesuschristshow.com, to find out more about our archive club. If you want to hear more of the show during the week, that's the way to do it. And you can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. Lee, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show. Hello, yes. Hi, how can I help you? Hi, yeah, I just had a question. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I'm an atheist, and I have a lot of questions uh, in regards to morality in the Bible. Sure. And one topic is slavery. Mm-hmm. And um, my question is, would you agree that slavery is immoral? Absolutely. Okay. Well, it clearly states in the Bible... Uh, instruction on how to own a slave and if the word if the bible is the living word of god why would he condone slavery ah well that's that's more of a misunderstanding it would be the equivalent of me saying do you believe love is a good thing do you lee yeah okay so if a man uh loves uh deeply loves with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Children and underage kids with a physical love, is that a bad thing? No. No. Hear me correctly. If an adult has physical love with a child, is it a bad thing? Well, that's considered molestation. Yes, exactly. So if you use the same word, love, it can be confusing because you have to look at 
the context of what how it's being used, correct? Yes. Okay, so let's look at Scripture then. The okay. The, the reason why people get confused with this is because the term slavery that is used in Scripture is not describing racial slavery in the same sense, in the same way as the past uh, uh, hundreds of years. So people get confused with it, and they see the word slavery or bond servant, and they mistake it for the racial slavery that the United States and others participated in in the past centuries. Totally different. Now, what the Bible refers to as that type of slavery is something called man-selling, which it condemns. Exodus twenty-one sixteen says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Totally different. So it does not condone slavery that you're talking about anywhere in Scripture. What it does condone is a type of slavery or bond servitude which was different than what the slavery you're speaking about. Now, what this was was never a race-based issue at all or a class-based issue because Scripture is very clear in Genesis one twenty-seven that all men uh, and women are created equal and in the image of God. So there's never any classification of human beings. So the Bible's clear about that. So what you have to do is now uh, look at Genesis that says all men are exactly the same, all men and women are created the same, and then you look at Exodus twenty-one sixteen that says... You can't steal a man or sell him, and if you're found in possession, you'll be put to death. And you start seeing that the Bible's not talking about slavery the way you are talking about slavery. So when you get into the bond servants, you're talking about doctors, lawyers, all kinds of different people from all different walks of life that get into financial debt and to pull themselves out, sell their services as a bond servant to a master— to be in servitude to them by their choice as a servant or a slave uh, by the translation uh, to repay debts. Completely different than someone being stolen from a homeland, treated as a lower class or as, uh, as less than human, and then being forced into uh, labor. Totally, completely different. Um, and people often apply them to be the same thing and then get confused. But obviously, as I said in Exodus twenty-one sixteen, it's incredibly clear that the concept of man-stealing, which is the equivalent of uh, uh, more modern slavery, like within the last 300 years or skipping to today. A lot of people don't know this or think about it, but you have over uh, 20 million people in the world that are still in slavery to this day. Forced labor, sex trade, um, all of these types of things. That's not what it's talking about. Um, It's talking about people that were in debt of all classes, of all walks of life, um, that were trying to pay off debt by going into work as a servant to someone, which is why Scripture is so clear about how that servant should be treated um, completely different. It's not the same slavery at all in any way, shape, or form. All right. Um, yeah, the Bible does mention that, and uh, that's why I kind of find contradictions, because it also states in the Bible, in Leviticus 25, 44 through 46, um, it, it clearly states, however you may purchase male or female slaves from among the foreigners who live among you. You may also purchase the children of such resident foreigners, including those who have been born in your land. You may treat them as your property 
passing them on to your children as a permanent inheritance. You may treat your slaves like this, but the people of Israel, your relatives, must never be treated this way. Like I said, Leviticus 25. No, when you're looking at religious or... You're talking about people see the Bible as one book underneath one cover, but you're talking about uh, 60-plus books written over a span of 1,400 years by 40-some-odd authors in three different languages, and it has to be interpreted through the rest of Scripture, not just taking one particular verse out. Otherwise, um, it can be uh, misconstrued. You take the entirety of what they call the harmony or hermeneutics of Scripture— if you're going to go through what they call proof texting and pointing out certain um, texts, then you have to parse it to find out if it is a reference to uh, it, what it's seated, the context in which it's seated, and what's it's talking, what it's talking about. In the case of the scripture that you're talking about, dealing with the Levitical laws, you're dealing with spiritual laws, and you're dealing with things that set um, the Jewish people apart or separate from the Canaanites or those that were pagans. And it's specifically religious reasons, not the things in which you're saying. So you take it out of context, and yes, it starts, you know, making people very concerned. But there, there are people that will take documents and uh, misrepresent them uh, by taking those things uh, in parts of whole. Keep in mind that slavery took place under um, a, a constitution that said that all men were created equal as well. So people will pick and choose what they want. There is nowhere in Scripture ever where um, slavery, the type of racial slavery um, that you think about when you're thinking about slavery in the past 300 years, 400 years, uh, is condoned, ever. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not talked about, just the same way that people with multiple wives are talked about, and and it will talk about things... um, saying how multiple wives should be treated, but it never condones it. And later on, we'll say that it doesn't condone it. And that that confusion happens in Scripture to people that are reading bits and pieces rather than understanding the harmony of Scripture. Okay, yeah, I, I get you. Um, however, I mean, isn't it, it's either wrong or it's, it's right. It's wrong. That's why I, that's why I give you Exodus 21.16. This is talking about the slavery you're talking about, and it says that anyone that does that shall be put to death, which I think is pretty clear. Okay, and but there's other scripture that indicates not in context. You can't. That's not the way scripture works. There's not. That's that's not the. It doesn't indicate anything. What I'm saying is that if you delve into the study of the context of that verse, seated in the context of that verse then you would understand that it's not talking about what you think it is talking about. Okay, it, it's, but what other context could there be for owning or giving specific it's talking about the passing on. It's talking about the passing on of debt, of a family debt. It's totally different than what you're saying. The property, property means that they are accountable for it and that they need to take care of it and that they are accountable for the people that they are dealing with that are in their servitude. It's not talking about what you think. It's not passing down property in this. You're equating those same words. Um, for instance, if you uh, come across certain passages that say, in my house there will be no bull, it's not talking about um, it, you know, the, uh, 
the vulgar word that is used in modern day language. It's talking about an actual bull. If it talks about somebody being stoned in scripture, it's not talking about them smoking pot. You're applying modern day terms to something that was not in modern day. And I'm saying that when it's talking about property, it's talking about the passing down of debt, not about the person being a human property. How do we know that? Because, again, when we go to Exodus 21.16, it clarifies it and says that that's not the case. That's the same with the Constitution. If you read the Constitution, um, you have clarifications in the amendments. You can't just take something out from one place and, and ignore the rest. It's not the way it works. So you have to see it in the fullness. I know this is very popular these days, that everyone wants to take everything out of context that people say um, so that they can make it mean something. But I'm telling you, in the fullness of Scripture, that's not what it means. Because if I edited this conversation we're having right now, if I edited what you said, I could make you say that you think slavery is okay. But okay. that's well, not your call, right? So don't do not do the same thing. Don't edit Scripture and take things out of context so they'll say what you think you want them to say. If you want to be an atheist, be an atheist. But be an atheist for uh, intellectually honest reasons, not for uh, fake straw man arguments that make you feel good about your decision. <laughs> okay. Right? That's a fair thing to say. Yes. Um, but uh, if you would let me explain where I'm coming from. It specifically said in the in the scripture that children are a permanent inheritance. So, what context could you possibly get from that, and what it is? Children being in a permanent inheritance means that the bloodline, that the family itself, owes the debt. The family. It's not. That's not saying that the children are property in the same way you're saying that they're property. They're but saying that, that they should exactly be. They're they saying that they should be cared for, and that they should be. Uh, uh, oh. They are. They are not separate from the debt in any way, shape, or form. That was based on how children were perceived at the time, not based on slavery. I'm saying what you are calling slavery is not the same. You're taking one thing out of context. Now, if we wanted to be specific. I could go back and take things out of context. I could say that you are okay with pedophilia because when I asked you the question earlier, you answered it incorrectly. And you're not because I know that you uh, you needed further explanation of what I was saying for you to answer correctly. And you keep standing on the same verse trying to get it to say what you want it to say. And I'm saying, no, Scripture condemns slavery, the type of slavery you mean. The first thing you learn when you debate in life the first thing in a formal debate is to define terms because what you say is slavery, someone else might say is something different. I'm defining the terms, Lee, and I'm explaining to you that what the Bible refers to as slavery is bond servitude, different. What the Bible says is uh, man-stealing is what you call slavery, and the Bible condemns that. That's it, my friend. That's just the truth. Now, you can keep going back to that same verse, and we can parse it. We can get into the actual original language, if you want, and start parsing what the words mean and what they are in context. But I somehow don't believe that that's going to change anything. If there's another question you have um, that has been a stickler with your atheism, I'd, I'd love to answer it. But to go round and round on something that um, you're not grasping is... is uh, 
futile. All right. Well, to me, it's just uh, semantics because you're, you're telling me that servant, bond servant. I'm saying that verse doesn't mean what you think it means, and you're going to keep reading it over and over again. And I can tell you that there's nowhere in Scripture that says don't chew on broken glass, but there are things that imply it. And if you read Scripture the way you're reading it for proof text, you're not going to get the answer. You're going to you're going to read into it what you want it to mean, and I'm saying it does not mean that. It just does not. And the rest of Scripture shines light on it. That's the way hermeneutics and the study of Scripture works. Um, and if you want to keep jumping up and down on that on that word, then we have to go through and and parse it. And it's kind of outside of the scope of one particular phone call. Uh, but but I appreciate it. I hope that maybe you you come up with some other questions and give us a call again. Uh, I'd be happy uh, to get into it more as time allows. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I am with you every single Sunday right here, answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life and the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your theology question or life situation question anywhere in the U.S. of A. Dial 877-HOLY-HOST numerically. That's 877-465-9467. You can check out our website, thejesuschristshow.com, and find out more about our archive club, and you can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. The Bible can't say what you want it to say. It can only say, say what it does say. And something only means what it means in its context. It's been said before that a text out of context is a pretext because if it's not seated in something, it means nothing. For instance, if you say, I'm working on a table tonight, that doesn't mean anything until you seat it in its context. Are you a mathematician? Is it a mathematical table? Are you a carpenter and building a table? Maybe you're a baker and you're going to be making something on the table. The context is incredibly important. And my hope is is that if there are people truly seeking, truly wanting to know what Scripture says, that they will allow the entirety of Scripture to have a voice and not just one particular verse. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I'm with you every single Sunday. Right here, answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life and, of course, the afterlife. I'd love to hear from you, so be bold and brave and go to that phone with your theology question dealing with God, religion, spirituality, worldviews, the Bible... Or if you're going through something in life, we call them life situations. I'd love to talk to you as well. The number is 877-HOLY-HOST. Numerically, that's 877-465-9467. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. And if you would like to uh, listen to more of the show, 
then uh, you can hear it during the week through our archive club. And you can find out more about that at thejesuschristshow.com, thejesuschristshow.com. And uh, that'll give you a, a basic rundown of what the archive club is about and all that good stuff. So check that out there at thejesuschristshow.com. And uh, we thank you for uh, those of you that are, are participating in that. Uh, but you can check all that out there. And uh, as I said, you can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show during the show and during the week. Um, that is great as well. Jason, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show. Hi, Jason. Hello. How can I help you? Yes, um... I have a question uh, regarding the um, existence of evil. Okay. And the definition of, of the Christian God. Um, the Christians define God as being omnipotent, uh, omniscient, and omnibeneficent. Um, so if God's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-good, when he created Lucifer, he knew that Lucifer would rebel and become Satan and be the source of all evil. So, in that sense, God is the source of evil. No. Um, that is a uh, faulty dilemma, actually. You're building up an argument based and coming to a conclusion. Um, in logic, it's called uh, an informal logical fallacy. You're saying A equals B um, equals C, and it doesn't in this case, because what God creates is something perfect and uh, with the knowledge that perfection uh, can, and in this case will, uh, become imperfect. But it doesn't mean that God created the imperfection. God only creates the possibility of imperfection by creating perfection. So let's start with that first and then go to the all-knowing part. If okay. uh, Evil is a weird thing, uh, Jason. Evil is it's a privation. It's the absence of something that should be there. Um, it is not – it's not something unto itself. There is no evil thing. You don't step in evil. You don't pour evil into a glass. It's not like that. It is the absence of good. So in order like to ha- – Yes, exa- like exactly. Brilliant uh, uh, analogy. Um, cold is not – there is no such thing as cold. It's only the absence of heat. Uh, and a lot of people misunderstand that. Um, it's uh, the lack of heat that creates cold. It's not something unto itself that is cold. And okay. um, so it, this similarly, you build a good tree or you build a good car. If you have a perfect car, it's perfection unto itself. Yet if, uh, if it gets rusted, the rust is a privation. It's eating away at the good. It's not something unto itself. It's breaking down the good. Same with rot on a tree. But you don't have an all-rotted tree anywhere. There's no such thing or an all-rusted something. If it was all rusted, there'd be nothing. So evil can't be a totality unto itself because it actually is a privation. It's taking away from something. So what God did do, and you're correct, is allow the possibility and later the execution of evil for the greater good. So think of it this way. Um, uh, Hitler was a bad guy, right? Did bad things. Yes. Um, and what were what what were some of the bad things that Hitler did? He killed people, right? Yeah, genocide. The yeah, Holocaust. ten million people. So to um to eradicate that evil, 
uh, it would be ridiculous to say, well, the best thing to do would be to kill everybody. Then if you kill everybody, no one will ever kill anybody again, right? Okay. So when people ask the question about God and the possibility and the probability of evil whenever you have good or you have something you shouldn't do, um, you are actually saying it's better for God not to create at all, which would be the equivalent of somebody killing everybody so no one gets killed again. So what you have is you have the creation of good, which allows for evil as a possibility. As we know now, that possibility uh, became uh, not only a probability, but a reality. And the assumption is that because there is evil... That outweighs the good, and it doesn't because evil itself is not something. So the good still outweighs the bad, and therefore the good is still the better benefit and the better path in the long run than it would be to have not created at all, which is a moral uh, neutrality. It doesn't have any weight. It's not morally better to create nothing because there's nothing. So God creating something— that is good with the possibility of evil that became the actuality of evil is still better because the good will outweigh the evil than it is to create nothing. So even in God's omniscience and unknowing, all-knowing and all of these things, God still did what was good and ultimately which will be best because this isn't the best world. This is the best path to the best world, which is heaven, um, which will be the ultimate landing place of purification and just like you would purify metal, it's uh, this is the heating process to make the dross come to the top that gets scraped off for the purification of metal. So to get to that place of purification, evil has to be at least an option and, as we know now, an actual reality. And I mean, because even like to even like discuss good, like to even like like use the term good, there has to be something to compare it to. It's like a comparative term. Um, yes, which is why you so, need God. You need something. There is no good or evil without a transcendent of which you're using as a canon or a measuring read to decide what is good. So good is a, is a, is a statement that doesn't mean anything if there is no transcendent or God. It's just an agreed-upon right. term, and therefore no one could judge 1945 Germany because if you get enough people to agree with something, then it becomes right. And so, like, in that sense, just in, like, a, like a yin-yang type of a thing, like, um... No, because like uh, evil, yin and evil yang, is, like, yin and yang are equal and opposite. The devil is not equal and opposite of God, any more than rust is equal and opposite of a car. It's not. It's a privation. It's, a, it's, the, it's digging away at good. But it's not—it's trying to erode good. But it's not uh, yin and yang. That concept is different. That's like day and night or an equality um, of light and darkness. And that's totally different. That's not what evil. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Please. Well, I was thinking in the sense of just like that there is like goodness in the existence of evil because sort of evil, like, there, like nothing would be good. Well, no, you can have no, you can have a perfect car with zero rust. You can't have a car that's all rusted. So that's not a true statement. However, what what is true about that statement, Jason, is that um, that there are things in this world that would not exist without evil that are good. So, for instance, nobility would not uh, happen or courage would not happen without adversity. Um, firefighters are not heroes without fires. Uh, law enforcement are not heroes without criminals. So, yes, there are things that there are good that is magnified because of the comparison to the privation of evil, most definitely. But you could still have good people without any uh, necessity of evil. Evil is only uh, a necessity now because it exists, and once it's opened, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. It exists, and it will, uh, in this world, will proliferate. But their good people can still make decisions to do good things, and ultimately God's conclusion is heaven. So God sees the end as well and knows that the end uh, is better than not creating at all and having those people that are good to be in a place that is good um, still supersedes and transcends the bad or the erosion that is taking place here on this earth, just like uh, a rusted car is better than no car. And it, it's God is the source of all things. Like he's still the source of of the potential, even yeah. for there to be rust. Yeah, that's that's very fair to say. God is the source of all things, and therefore, uh, God is the source of the possibility of evil by creating good. It's just like saying um, that your parents are the source of your death. <laughs> I mean, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's good. good. You know, so it's it's yes, there are some things that you can't separate from it, Jason. But the but in the big scheme of things, it's still better to have you live whatever years you live here. And I guarantee your parents would agree better to have a moment with you than to have you never to have existed. And uh, in one day, yes, the laws of thermodynamics state that you are going to break down and simplify and die. So that's a bummer. But. The life that you live is still precious no matter how long. If you lived for one day, it still has value and has value to your parents and to the people that you touched and experienced you um, even though you will one day die. So regardless of how long you're on this planet, as long as you're doing things uh, that are uh, for the betterment of mankind, you're still adding to it in the good and that death will be overshadowed by the great things and the legacy that you live behind, hopefully – and have power in that. And so if you were to focus on the death, saying, well, we're all going to die, and my parents just basically created, uh, started my death by giving me birth, then you would miss 
the beauty of the life in between, and I and I hope that you don't. I hope that you see no, it for I what it is. I definitely don't. I definitely recognize the light. And um, if we're all heading towards towards heaven, um, if you're going to take the right life, if if God uh, eventually wants um, all of us to to live in like this perfect realm, um, how like, could that be? Like how could how could there be a place unto itself that that is perfect um, without there being ah okay so why 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 this then well it goes back to the analogy of why didn't god just put us in heaven you mean just start there Um, and not have the possibility of evil well not so much that but just like just like once like like if heaven exists and and when we get there um how can that be sustained uh without there being like any sort of like a a fluctuation like a possibility of evil or okay um because we're up against a break we're going to take this break but uh hang tight i think it's a great question it is the jesus christ show i am your holy host Thanks for hanging out with us. If you have a question uh, anywhere in the U.S. of A, dial 877-HOLY-HOST. Numerically, that's 877-465-9467. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. Uh, we lost Jason. Maybe he misunderstood and uh, or had to go. But uh, very wonderful questions. I love that type of thinking and that pattern of thinking. And he was asking about the concept of evil, the problem of evil, um, talking about uh, heaven. So as we were chatting about heaven, he asked, you know, the, how come there's no fluctuations in heaven? Uh, as, uh, you know, how, how would it remain st- uh, stable with goodness? And the best way to understand that is uh, the finality of a decision, like let's say death. Uh, if you were to die... That is final. There is no do, do-overs. There's nothing else you can do to to change uh, that experience or that that place. Right? That it is what it is. Same with heaven. Once that decision is made for heaven and unto death, then you are going to experience that for eternity. That's why there's no fluctuation. It is the Jesus Christ Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Always so much better when you guys are here as I am here with you every Sunday. Same time, same place, answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life and the afterlife. Uh, We've only got a little bit more time, but if you have a question that you want to try and get in, you can give us a call at 877 Holy Host, numerically, that's 877-465-9467. And, of course, uh, if you want to hear more of the show during the week, the best way to do that is the Archive Club. You can find out more at thejesuschristshow.com. And if you can follow us on Twitter at Jesus Show, at Jesus Show. Luger, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show. How are you, sir? I am well. How can I help you? Uh, just to give you a very quick little background, I listen to your show every week. Thank you. Uh, without bragging, but just to give a background, I'm a biblical scholar and a theologian. 
Well, that makes one of us. Uh, well. Just a joke. You know, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I need to be told to laugh. Thank you. Thank you. I need it. Okay. So, loving God with my whole heart and searching constantly the scriptures and so on and so on, not to break, just, just to let you. I have a real problem with the current church and the first commandments. In that, let's take the first one. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Mm. I a jealous God. I get it. But that really conflicts with what a lot of churches teach, that Jesus is God, although it is said over and over again, He is the Son. They're separate. But that isn't what's really taught it, and people don't get it. I'll give you the second one very quickly, because you're very intelligent. You'll go across them all. Is also, remember the, not a, the Sabbath day, and keep it holy forever. And the other is, have no graven images. And if I go, which I do not anymore, into a, a lot of Christian churches... I look at the imagery everywhere, and I go, I cannot be here. And that really bothers me, because I would love, after many, many years of spending time in churches, I cannot go in anymore, because I know better. What do you say? (sighs) There's a lot there, and I want to make sure that I... I go through these properly because they're because of the sake of time I tend to abbreviate. I I believe that the audience is uh, you were very kind with your compliments to me but I believe the audience is very intelligent. So I ask a lot of them to fill in the blanks as I have to abbreviate things for the sake of time. But your question is more than just the simple theological question. And I've had this asked many times on the air in different forms. But I get the impression you're asking differently than other people ask. So let's go over the simple parts of it. Yes, the Sabbath is holy, but the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath day is not a day in the same sense. Now, we know this in Scripture because sometimes a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day, right? It's written. Okay, it's written. So conceptually, the word yom uh, being day uh, – often specifically means a 24-hour period or a day period, but can mean other things as well. The concept of the Sabbath is really about, to a Christian, to a New Testament Christian, is really about um, the uh, spirit of that day and having that day. And this is amplified when people ask about the Sabbath, and my response in Scripture is, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That changes the energy of what the Sabbath is and what it means. Now, granted, Christians do not worship on the Sabbath. doesn't mean they don't celebrate the Sabbath. They don't worship on the Sabbath. Most modern-day Christians worship on the Lord's Day. Now, this the Lord's Day is uh, dealing with the death on the cross and the resurrection dealing with that resurrective uh, Sunday. So, no, 
Christians, most Christians are not worshiping on the Sabbath, but that doesn't mean that they are not honoring the Sabbath or having um, a time of rest. So the the day is not to be worshipped because if you worship the day, it becomes a graven image of sorts. It becomes an idol. Yes. So what? so the problem is not to ever make that Sabbath to be something of worship. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And this is throughout Scripture, Acts 27, Colossians uh, 2, 16, and 17. There are times where there are different days of worship, even in uh, the New Testament. So, well, there's been one Sabbath in certain weeks. But what I was referring to a little more specifically, and not the way that it was kept by the law, you must, can't walk, no fire, that don't mean that. I mean, honestly, most Christians don't really sit down and say, today is the Sabbath, and I honor that. It, it's gotten shifted, it seems to me to the uh, second day of the week, or rather, uh, technically it's the first day of the week, which would be the Lord's Day, it's so-called. Yes. Rather than, okay, this is a very special day. I I can observe this in many different ways. I, I don't get have it. to not make a fire, but I do need I get to... it. People are not worship. Uh, people are not honoring the Sabbath. Yeah. Is a great day to worship. Yeah, I, I get it that people are not honoring the Sabbath. However, this was the battle with the law, and this is what in Scripture you see often uh, the, the wrestle, uh, the wrestling that that went on with me and the religious leaders at the time. So let's look at that conceptually in the biggest picture, because if you get lost in that. Right there, it becomes the law again, which is what I, I it says in Scripture. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Now, once something's fulfilled, it is done. It doesn't mean that it's abolished. It means that the spirit of it is still in existence, but the debt is paid. So if you look at it this way, the 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 law in the United States is to drive, on average, 65 miles maximum speed limit on the freeway. But the law has a spirit of the law, which is to protect life. That is what the law is about. It's not about some arbitrary speed where it, where you're automatically sinning if you hit a certain speed. That's not what it is. It means that they, are, they have done test after test after test about the amount of people on the freeway, the type of uh, vehicles that are now created with crumple zones and et cetera, and safety harnesses and all these different things, and they feel that that's a, a good speed where most people can travel and still control the car and all of these things. However, if somebody is – if a life is in danger, there is no speed limit. There is – a you don't have an ambulance or a fire truck yeah, yeah. or a, they, they, because the spirit of the law is to protect life. The spirit of the Sabbath law 
is not about worshiping a day, a particular day in a particular time, because the Sabbath day is different today than it was then. I mean, there is no—the equivalent is different. There is the the calendars change. There's all kinds of things that are changed. But well, the Levites there, have kept it meticulously. There are, there are, yeah. You, now you're talking about a people that you that um, uh, there are those that are even having a hard time to trace back to that individual people. You're talking about different calen- calendars, whether it's the Julian or the Gregorian or the Hebrew calendar or any of these things. You're talking about many variables uh, with leap years, with everything, and in the Americanized version. So you've got all these variables that continue to shift and to change things. So it cannot be about the essence of, of – it cannot be a literal day. It has to be the spirit of it. Now, oh, of course. So it, and in that – jumping to that, I will tell you that there are many Christians, if not the majority of Christians, that are not honoring the spirit of it still, having said that. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but – the there are uh, there are things within that Sabbath that became a law that I absolutely fought directly against and made comments specifically against, like protecting livestock on that day and things like that that they were pushing against. Uh, what man of his ass falls in the mud on the Sabbath won't pull it out. Well, of course, indeed. So that but but that was different. To them, so these are the people that were practicing that Sabbath then that still had it incorrectly by modern day Christian views. So you had people that were children of the Sabbath that I was correcting that thought that my uh, beliefs in the New Testament beliefs were wrong and incorrect. And I'm saying that even now, it the Sabbath changes and grows. It is living and breathing and continues to grow and to modify as the need for rest changes. It's just different. That's, the, that's because the, that's why I was saying don't try and fit the person into the Sabbath. Fit the Sabbath into the person. And, and so that may not suit you. Maybe you want to do it a little differently, but I don't think that there is one specific way that that is, um, that that is honored. I, I agree with you, and I I agree with the spirit of the whole thing, not getting caught up in the law. My problem is, is that it's not really taught, and by my understanding, there's kind of a reason why these commandments are in an order. And when I used to teach, I used to say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy is above murder, adultery, all of those. Stealing, it's very important, and I couldn't agree with you more. It's what's in your heart. You can do the jump up and down, but if the soul isn't there, it doesn't. But why is it so important? It isn't taught. What what I have a problem with is the churches aren't really teaching it, not the specifics. I mean, that's a starting point. I get it, because I think a lot of the pastors and leaders don't understand it. Quite honestly, I think a lot of them skirt the issue and would rather do a 10-part series on tithing than understanding the fact that the reason why the Sabbath is important is because if you, if you hold dear the Sabbath in a time of rest, 
if you're feeding yourself with the Spirit and you're taking time to read God's Word, to pray, to interact with God's people and have that time of rest, then you will be less likely to murder, to steal, to do those things, which is why it becomes more paramount. It ends up, it's not that it's more important than life or death. It's that it will prevent, though it can help prevent those things by having a time of rest, a time of worship, a time of inhaling the scripture and exhaling the word of God. That all that, that's why it becomes important. But it, it's not that it, um, it, it's not that it should be worshiped or become idolatry. Now hold that thought because I want to talk to you some more on the other side of this break. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I'm with you every single Sunday. I know we only have a moment here. And we were chatting with Luger. Are you still there? Yes, sir. And we we really only have a quick moment here, and I want to jump to a couple of things. We were talking about the Sabbath, and I want to leave that for a moment. I think that we've, you know, looked at it from multiple angles. But you made a comment about Jesus being God and not being God the Son of God. Um, and there are, are obviously those that believe that. Uh, mainstream Christianity would not call them Christians, but the, there are those that, that, that believe um, that um, I wasn't uh, God, I was the Son of God. However, in Scripture, there's not a whole lot of room for that when you look at... Um, uh, references John ten thirty three, where it says the Jews answered him, "It's not for you or any good work that you do that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God." And that's a very powerful statement in the context. Also, um, the story in John twenty of doubting Thomas, the the Greek there is very powerful. Ekthusmuthesmu. To, to say something like that, my Lord and my God, is not an exclamation, but would be blasphemy. Sir, may I, may I interject very quickly? Absolutely. My Lord, stop looking at Yeshua. And my God, going on looking up as two different things. No, there is not, that's not qualified in there. That's not found in the Scripture. Were you uh, raised in the Jehovah's Witness Church by any chance? No, I was raised uh, actually Wisconsin Lutheran, which was stricter than strict. Okay, but they but that's not a belief from the Lutherans. <clears throat> I've done a lot, a lot. That a lot, is a lot that is that is not that is not a mainstream belief at all. And as a matter of fact, you have to put in that modification of grammar to make it say that. There is no place when you connect all of the dots that are spoken about and the things that are used, like the previous reference and this reference and John one one. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There, there is no, there's no place for that interpretation. As a matter of fact, that's very much a, a Jehovah's Witness type interpretation and not a mainstream interpretation at all. You really have to add grammar to that to make it say that, and you'd have to add movement to that. You'd have to add the movement of him looking up. And you still, in biblical times, would not make the exclamation of my God. You wouldn't say that in that 
sentence. It would still be considered blasphemy. So even a comma or period wouldn't change. That would be blasphemous. And as a spiritual leader, I would have had to correct him. And there are those that even bowed down to worship, and I never corrected them. Yet even angels corrected people that bowed down to worship them. So there's a lot in there. Out of all the things, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. We're up against the clock, obviously. But uh, out of all the things that make me most nervous, it's that conclusion with uh, what Scripture says about uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, more than anything else. The Sabbath and all that stuff can be reconciled differently. Remember, more importantly than all the craziness in the world are these simple words. I am with you. Always. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.